I want us to look at the, the book of uh, Leviticus and, uh, and really take an overview. Often, I think, kind of in our constituency, in our tribe, whatever kind of word you want to use, we're really good at one verse exposition uh, or a few verses. And sometimes we can kind of miss the big picture of what God is saying. Really tonight we're looking at a very big picture and answering a very simple question really. And it is the question that the book of Leviticus really sets out to answer. And the the question really that Leviticus is answering is this, how can sinful Israel be in a relationship with a holy God? I mean, when we read Exodus 40 right at the end, as Moses um, is putting together the tabernacle and the tent and, and, and everything else and placing the ark and the beast and the washing, did you notice how often they were uh, used the word holy? Uh, anointing oil, anoint the tabernacle, and it will be most holy. Why is it got to be holy? It's in the presence of a holy God. And how can Israel have God living with them? The answer is the book of Leviticus. That is what gives us really the answer that God in his grace, just in the same way that he is gracious to us today, God in his grace allows sinners like the Israelites to live with him in their midst. We also, of course, because it's part of God's word, learn about what God is like. Apart from anything else, his holiness. Um, We also learn what we are like, apart from anything else, sinners. And we learn really as well how the relationship between the Israelites and the God exists and goes. But we also learn the principles of how you and I as well can be in relationship with the Holy God. The principles that Jesus fulfills are laid out here in the book. So... I think it's helpful for us to get a deeper understanding, uh, God willing, of what Jesus has really done for us. Now, I mentioned the big picture. I'll never forget having a, an Anglican once. There was, I can't remember his name, but there was an Anglican. Suddenly came, an evangelical Anglican, suddenly came to uh, Morriston uh, a few years ago. We had him to preach a few years ago. It was a long time ago. It was 20-odd years ago. Uh, sign you're getting old, isn't it? Um, and he came to preach, and uh, Charles Dobie, I think his surname was, Charles. And, uh, and just like in his sermon, he gave like a history of the Bible. I thought, I've never heard it in a sermon before. And yet, when he came to the context, it was so helpful. And he'd sp- given the story of the Bible in about a minute. And kind of Anglicans are really good at that, aren't they? And, um, and us kind of independent evangelicals are not so good. So um, just a reminder, really, you know, God creates the world. This Adam and Eve, they sin, they fall, don't they? And the consequences of the fall are all enveloping. The whole of creation is affected by the fall, all of us. Our best efforts, whatever we do, are tainted by the fall, aren't they? You know, just, you know, people say it's better to give than to receive, isn't it? You know, Christmas time, you know, it's lovely, you know, to give presents to your kids or whoever at Christmas. Why? it makes you feel good you know to see the smile on their faces yeah what does it do it makes you feel good whatever brain chemicals are released you know it's great isn't it but you're doing it because it for yourself the fall affects everything that we do 
And uh, Genesis 1 to 11, I uh, always remember hearing someone say that if you wanted to split the Bible in two, that really you should split it in two, Genesis 1 to 11, and the rest of the Bible, when God comes to Abraham and makes a covenant. But uh, really we see there sin from Genesis 1 to 11, the ravages of it, what happens. And then in Genesis 12, God comes to one man, Abraham, and promises him salvation. So salvation starts really to come into the world. One family then, Jacob, the children of Israel, it's still a family. And then, of course, they are a nation, children of Jacob, children of Israel. And so there's one man, then one family, one nation. God is saving these people. He saves them by taking them into Egypt. And then years later, of course, he saves them by the Exodus, by taking them out of Egypt. And that really is where they are. They're in the, now in the, the wilderness and their Israel have entered into covenant at Mount Sinai. So we think of Sinai, don't we? We think of the Ten Commandments, but of course all the laws they're given to Moses. This is how I want Israel to live. This is Israel now living for God. And in, as part of the law, God says to Moses and commands Moses in Exodus 25, let them make me a sanctuary, a sacred place, that I may dwell among them. God is going to live with his people. And that is where we come to the book of Leviticus. Because the first thing for headings, if you want a heading, the first thing we see really is that there is a blessing, but there's also a danger in the presence of God. Leviticus 1.1 is very helpful on this. The Lord called to Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting. Remember Moses and the Lord were face to face on Mount Sinai. The glory of God has come down. Saw that right at the end of chapter 40. You know, God is basically in the tent, he's with his people, but Moses and everyone else, but Moses, the man who is representing Uh, God to the people, Moses is outside the tent. God, of course, he is because God is a holy God. Moses, because of Israel's sin, cannot enter the tent of meeting until something is done about sin and something is done about the relationship with the living God. So I think I've got, have you got the PowerPoint? I think this is really helpful as we look at Leviticus because it shows us actually the symmetry that there is uh, in the book of Leviticus. So what you see here is kind of, um, it's not really a mirror, but there is symmetry. So chapters one to seven of Leviticus basically look at ritual. And then at the end, uh, chapters 23 to 25 also look at ritual. So at the beginning, it's all about the, the, uh, the sacrifices. So, you know, kill this animal for this, kill that animal for that. So all the, the rituals now are being outlined in those first seven chapters. And then towards the end, chapters 23 to 25, you get, again, the same thing, but this time in the ritual, they're looking at um, feasts. So all the different feasts and festivals, same thing. Um, all the different feasts and festivals, they're all outlined there. Then you kind of move in a little bit towards the really the central 
kind of dominating, wonderful, as we'll see, um, theme. I think we're going to come to that right at the end uh, of September, so that'll keep us going. We knew we have to come back. Um, but before that, we've got priesthood. So in chapters 8 to 10, you get all the instructions to the priesthood, so Aaron and his sons, uh, representing uh, the people to God with all the sacrifices. And then, uh, again, the kind of the parallel passage, if you like, 21 to 22, you've got the priesthood again, the qualifications for being a priest. So what they do is set out later on then the qualifications for those who are going to follow in the line of Aaron and his sons. Then you get purity laws, so ritual kind of purity, lots of washing and that kind of thing. Chapters 11 to 15, and again the parallel, chapters 18 to 20, is moral purity as well, but moral life. And then in the centre, with the kind of the mirror, if you like, either side, you've got the Day of Atonement. Um, so that's chapter 16 and 17. Uh, and of course, that plays a huge role uh, in the life of Israel. And, and then at the end, really, you've got a couple of chapters then, basically a calling. This is, you know, a call. Uh, it's the application, if you like, or the pressing home, as the preacher does at the end. Uh, and that's what you've got, a call to covenant faithfulness. Do these things and live, that kind of thing. And it's all about, you know, you've got to do these things. So we come to, come to that right at the end. But I think that's very helpful to see that there really is kind of symmetry in the way that these things, uh, and the way that Leviticus, rather, is written and structured in that way. And it is wonderful that the Day of Atonement is set right at the centre of the book. That is highly significant. Um, and, of course, everything else then kind of concertinary. Um, okay, so they're all about, really, the, the rituals and everything else, all about the Israelites being in the presence of God. The blessing of being in the presence of God. You see, because we're in the Old Testament, and although the rituals and the sacrifices that we're going to look at and the priesthood laws belong to the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, and though we are children of the New Covenant, Leviticus teaches us about the nature of God. And it teaches us of his holiness, which is always relevant for us. Because, of course, being in the presence of God is a wonderful thing. Blessing. But, of course, there are dangers as well, aren't there? And you see that. We're going to see that in the story, particularly with um, uh, two of the priests, you know, who basically are, are, are killed because of the way that they try and go into the presence of God without sacrifice. Um, I think it started Sunday night. There's a new uh, drama series on BBC One about a nuclear submarine. And uh, I think it was a couple of years ago, there was a um, remarkable drama about Chernobyl from the 1980s. Remember Chernobyl? About nuclear reactions and nuclear fission and all that kind of thing. And a nuclear reactor is an incredible thing, isn't it? Um, and it is a wonderful thing. The power that it can produce is immense. Uh, you know, we probably in this country, especially with electricity and gas bills going up, we probably need more nuclear plants, don't we? It is wonderful, but you've got to treat it right. Because being in the presence of radiation, if you are not wearing the radiation suits or hazmat suits and the gloves and and everything else, 
is extremely dangerous. All that good that is produced by nuclear energy, but as we saw from Chernobyl, or submarines or other things that go wrong, it's a very dangerous thing to treat in the wrong way. God is a glorious God, and it is incredible that we are able to meet with him, to have him with us, to have God in the presence of the Israelites here, but he is completely holy. And being in his presence can be dangerous as well as amazing. So what difference does Leviticus make? That's the second thing. What difference really does the book of Leviticus make as we approach the living God? Well, ritual, priesthood, purity, Day of Atonement, they are wonderful things, aren't they? They are clearly set out for the Israelites to obey. The sacrifices that they have to make are clearly needed. Because when, as I mentioned, those priests go in without sacrifice, they're immediately killed. The sacrifices are all about do these things and you will live. They are all about forgiveness of sin in the presence of of a holy God. They're all about the rituals, about being able to be in the close proximity of God. The priests are needed to do the sacrifices. The qualifications for the priests are very high. The purity laws that are given are, we might say, extreme or extremely tough, but they are there so that you can be in the presence of the living God. And so there's lots of things. Have you made yourself unclean by touching this, that, and the other? If you have, well, it's not like you're sinning, but it is that you need to make a sacrifice and stay away from, from the tabernacle for 14 days and all, all that kind of thing. You can't be in the presence of God when you're unclean. And then, of course, the Day of Atonement, the two goats in particular, the sacrifice for sins for Israel, and the scapegoat being let out. Well, what difference does Leviticus make? If you turn forward uh, in the book of Leviticus, if you've got a Bible uh, with you, and turn to Numbers chapter 1, we see the difference that it literally makes. Always be careful when you use the word literally. I don't know if you watched, there was a very good programme on... Um, uh, about 9-11 on BBC last night and uh, somebody there said it literally was this and I was thinking it literally wasn't because she said something completely I can't remember what it was now but it was something like you know the fireman were literally keeping the building propped up with their arms it wasn't that but it was something like that they literally weren't you're literally talking rubbish anyway this is literal Leviticus 1-1 the Lord called to Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting Numbers 1.1, the Lord spoke to Moses in the tent of meeting in the desert of Sinai on the first day. There is the difference the book of Leviticus makes. Moses was outside and then when the ritual laws, the, um, the sacrifice, the day of atonement, the goats and everything else, Moses is now able to be in the presence of of the living God. 
That's the difference that Leviticus makes to the Israelites. But that makes no difference to you and me, (laughs) apart from being a nice fact from the Bible. So the third thing, what difference does Jesus make? Because as the Israelites come to the tabernacle, to the tent of meeting with God, imagine for a moment that you're an Israelite. And uh, you're a fan of Moses, you know, you're on side, you like Aaron, you're not a rebel, you know. Uh, But you know that you or somebody in your family have sinned and you know that you've got to go to the tabernacle, the tent of meeting. How much boldness do you have? And how much confidence do you have as you approach the tabernacle with your sacrifice? I mean, flossy that you're taking or the goat or whatever, the dove or whatever it is that you're taking as a sacrifice. If it was me, I'd be thinking, is it suitable? I mean, I checked flossy. Was she spotless? I don't, I don't know. What if I'm unclean? I mean, did I touch... You know, George, who died in the tent down the road, I can't remember. Did I touch his body? There's all those questions to ask. What if the priest has been unfaithful and hasn't done what he's supposed to have done? And you're approaching the living God. I'm not sure how much boldness and how much confidence that you would have as you approach him. And I don't think you can have boldness and confidence. And yet, the difference now that Jesus makes as we look forward and we look to our Saviour, we can enter, can't we, and we can pray later on and approach the throne of God in prayer with great boldness, with great confidence, knowing that the Father has accepted the sacrifice. It's not the sacrifice that we are having to bring tonight because of something we said or did earlier this afternoon but we're relying upon the Jesus who has made himself and given himself as the sacrifice for our sins. And so the sacrifice has been done. The once for all sacrifice for all our sin has been accepted by the Father. The resurrection is the proof of that. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. But he can come. We can come through him with boldness and with confidence. We, one of the uh, issues that we often have in prison, or I often have in prison, especially after we've had a few other people preaching on a Sunday, and I mentioned the good Anglicans earlier, not all of them are so good, uh, but they'll be preaching about, you know, turning and, and, and repenting, you know, say sorry for your sins. That's a good thing to do, repent. Turn away from your sins. Try your best, all that. But there's no mention of Jesus turn to God, but no mention of Jesus. He is the only one, isn't he, to the Father. And Leviticus shows us how serious these things are, and for the Israelites there was only one way to approach God, and that was through the sacrifices, being clean and everything else with the priests and and everything that we're going to have a look at, the big pictures. But the only way that we can approach God, the same holy God, through the Lord Jesus Christ because the word became flesh as John 1 reminds us and dwelt among us or tabernacled among us the tabernacle the meeting tent of meeting 
Jesus fulfills that. He is the tabernacle. He is the tent of meeting. He is the way that we meet with God. And the Israelites could only worship God through the tabernacle in that way, in the proper way. And we can only worship God by the appointed tabernacle who is Jesus. And of course, Jesus brings us to God by God coming to us, by Jesus coming to us. And so when we're going to be looking at rituals, we remember that Jesus is the once-for-all sacrifice. And on the cross, he cried out, didn't he? It is finished. The priesthood, well, we have a great high priest. We're all priests under God. Purity, well, we are all relying upon the purity of Jesus. You know, we can now approach God and pray, even if we've touched a dead body or got mould on the walls or whatever it is. The Day of Atonement, that curtain of the temple has been torn in two from top to bottom. You know, the difference that Jesus makes is immense, isn't it? We're reminded of that in Ephesians 2.22. We read there, And in him you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. And so God lives within us. We don't have to go to a tent of meeting, a tabernacle. God, by his Spirit, lives within us. Why? Because of what Jesus Christ has done. That is the difference, that God is now in us by his Spirit. And it's so far removed from where the Israelites were in the wilderness. And how blessed we are as we try to live for the holy living God. The children of Israel were blessed, weren't they? They really are blessed. Among all the nations of the world, they were blessed. And having God living among them was immense blessing of all the nations of the earth. God is in the midst of them. But we're far more blessed because the Spirit of God lives within us. You and I are blessed tonight to be children of the living God more privileged in many ways because as God has chosen us to be into his family you and I haven't got what got to worry about what we've eaten today or what we've touched today or to make those sacrifices or to bring animals or anything else and we're not relying upon an earthly priest doing what he's supposed to be doing we're relying upon a Jesus who fulfills all those things for us and he's fulfilled them perfectly and completely as well and God wants to be in a relationship with us. He wanted to be with his people. How much more he wants to be with you and with me as well. And so we can come, and as we pray later on, we can come knowing that it is an awesome privilege to be able to speak and be in relationship with the living God. A dangerous one if we come in the wrong way. But through Jesus, we can have boldness and confidence knowing that he has done it all he has covered us and our sins have been removed as far as the east is from the west. And then when the Father looks at you, he sees all the perfect righteousness of our great Saviour. So we're not worrying about what our goats that we've got to bring and sacrifice or doves or whatever. We have boldness and confidence as we try to live for Jesus because he has done everything for us. And the Spirit of the living God lives with his people and we have that great assurance that he is with us.